0: This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode- What's up with
1: this lady over here? Someone told me that like, oh, her five-year-old has diabetes. And so I always like to welcome the nuanced onset diabetics coming into the emergency room. The mom was still crying. I walked in there, gave the five-year-old a high five and said, welcome to the Diabetes Club. (laughs) The mom looked at me like, what the F are you talking about?
0: But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone Podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to another episode of the Insulone Podcast. I always wonder why do I name the podcast every time I start the podcast because obviously you have searched this. I'm guessing you've listened to this podcast before, so you already know which one it is. And if this is your first episode ever, welcome. I appreciate you giving us your time and your ears. So in today's episode, I chat with Mr. Thomas Lennon. Thomas is a type 1 diabetic living in Atlanta in the USA and was diagnosed completely unexpectedly, with type 1 diabetes at the age of 35. He had to adapt to this, let's say, new way of living very quickly as he had just become a new father at the same time. Since his diagnosis, Thomas has become a fantastic advocate for type 1 diabetes. He is a personal trainer. He is the host of his own podcast called the Type 1 Lifting Podcast. He is the creator of the Type 1 Lifting Podcast social content on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, everywhere. And he is the owner of his own type one lifting clothing brand, which also gives a percentage of the proceeds to help the Children's Diabetes Foundation. So he knows his stuff. He's passionate about fitness. He's passionate about diabetes. So I know you're going to love this conversation. Enjoy it. We'll chat to you soon. For me, what I'm curious to know about Thomas straight off the bat is how you dealt with your diagnosis and I'm asking you that because I speak to diabetics who are diagnosed as babies as children as teenagers as people in their 20s and we all have different experiences around how we deal with it kind of physically mentally and emotionally and you were, I think a month away from being 35 so how was that whole experience for you uh, well, so how I found out of me being a diabetic was
1: my pre-employment screening to the hospital I was working at. Uh, so I just moved to Georgia and, you know, I was, you know, I don't know if anybody is aware of like the Southeast weather, but the summertime, it's like stupid hot down here. And so I was like drinking like tons and tons of water, just thinking like nothing of it. And the funny thing is like, I've been in the medical field for like 10 years before you know i got diagnosed so you know i'm like not thinking anything of it and then you know get get this new job do the pre employment screening the lady was checking my blood sugar and it re, it was like 290 at the time and then uh no 3 i'm sorry 390 and uh and i was i was like what what and then i <laughs> she weighed me and i was like 20 21 pounds under from like 2 months ago and so even like my wife when I moved down here but she moved uh, down to Atlanta, uh, Georgia before me and I took my shirt, uh, shirt off for a pool party and she's like you look really really skinny like what what happened to you up there and um yeah when the lady uh, checked my blood sugar make sure I was okay went to the endocrinologist like the uh, another week later uh, actually no probably a couple days later and I got diagnosed with diabetes and I was all by myself in the car and finally realizing that i got diagnosed with diabetes and i'm driving home and i'm like how did this happen you know what are we gonna do because i don't have i didn't have insurance at the time um and i don't know you know and i got all this paperwork and all that stuff and it was just like i literally drove like no music on and it was like completely silent and i'm like what what am i gonna do and then like that drive it was like a 20 minute drive I kind of realized like, well, you know, I have this really crappy disease and I just got to, I just got to live with it now. And so my wife and I were like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll do the best we can with it. You manage it and kind of go from there. And then we had a three month old at the time. So it was, you know, it was, it was stressful and it it still is. I mean, I've I've been a diabetic for eight years, you know, and when I got diagnosed, I was 34 going to my 35th birthday. So it's like. You know i'm i'm used to like rolling with the punches but it was it was like so like out of left field when it happened
0: and had you any idea what this had like what this meant for you now did you realize the extent of what type one is on a daily basis
1: no, but I've, so my, when I was working in the hospital, I was all like emergency room based. So we dealt with like new onset of diabetes and stuff like that. But, you know, I never really knew the day to day of how a diabetic like does or counts or checks their blood sugar doses, you know, and like, it's always a, like doing the numbers game. Like I had no idea, you know, cause like being in the medical field, like, you know, some things, but like, you don't know everything. You know, you may be like a, a, you know, really advanced at like orthopedic stuff. But when it comes to like endocrinologist stuff or like, you know, and you know, all that stuff, you're
0: like, well, I have no idea what this is. So when you were driving back home with <laughs> during this 20 minute drive or however long it was, what sort of fears did you have as a new parent on top of all of this? You know, you've. Enough to be considering and, and thinking about when you, when you have a three month old at home, but what was consuming your mind at this time? What were you thinking of? It?
1: I was really more concerned about my kid and well my son at the time and and, uh, and, and my wife um, because the main thing is I don't I don't like I, I don't like feeling that I'm a burden to people. I'd rather like be like the one that be like, Hey, you know, let's, I could step up and like, you know, next man up mentality. And like, it, it just, that when I got diagnosed, I just felt like I'm going to be a huge burden. And, you know, my wife doesn't really know how it works and I didn't really know how it works. And it's like, it's funny. Like I'm, I was getting information from like people online because my endocrinologist didn't really, you know, tell me much. He's like, okay, here's a diabetic. You're you're a diabetic. Here's here's an insulin pen for your short acting, and here's a long, at, long acting. You know, take some short acting right now to kind of lower your blood sugar now. And, and I'm like sitting there just injecting myself, and I'm like, oh, 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 okay, all right. Is am I, did, am I doing this right? And, <laughs> and 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 like, yeah. And then and then like my wife was like really concerned too. And like that's another thing is I don't like her being concerned. So that's that was like it was it was scary for a little while but you know just gotta roll the punches that that's what I've always learned to do.
0: What do you feel or what are some mistakes looking back now Thomas that you feel you made while you were getting used to this new life? Because so, if you're speaking of how you were kind of practicing injections and thinking am I doing this right? Yeah, so it's it's funny I um So with the,
1: um, what do you call it? Uh, geez, I'm having a brain fart right now. Uh, with the, the, oh my gosh, the lant, the lancets. Okay. So the lancets. So I, I had no idea like how that lancet machine works. So I thought like every turn is every time you use the lancet that's, and it's, I didn't realize to like, I think a year and a half later that it was for like the amount of pressure, you were actually going to use for puncturing <laughs> yeah. your finger. And I'm like, I, and I learned it from a lady that got um, gestational diabetes. She's like, why do you have it all the way at eight? And I'm like, Oh, that's how many times I use it before I switch it out. And she's like, no, that's the amount of pressure you use. To, to No one told me this until her. And then like, even like switching lancets and stuff like that. I had no idea. Like this, like the literally the lancet was like sticking in my finger and I'm like, Oh, is this normal? And then like, I would like realize I'd switch another one and then, I ran out of Lancets. And so I literally had a, like a, I had a pharmacist from like CVS coming like her and I were trying to figure out like, Oh, what kind of Lancets do I need for, you know, you know, to, to, you know, pick, prick my finger for like the, you know, the Lancet that I need. And so like, it was like, it's, it's hilarious to think about it back right now because it's like, no, like there's not a lot of people that know what we need to do. And so it was like a learning, it was a learning experience for the pharmacist and I was pretty funny. So
0: yeah, it sounds, <laughs> it. and for for anybody who doesn't know what Thomas means by the Lancets, it's basically that your blood glucose monitor, when you prick your finger, you should be able to kind of twist the top of it. And basically the top will determine and how you twist it, essentially how deep that needle goes into you. So Thomas obviously had it going in the furthest way. So it's like you were, you were spike, like a spear into your finger every time you were checking your blood sugar.
1: Yeah, and it was getting stuck too. So, and I was like trying to, I was like yanking it out and I'm like, okay, this is not, this is not normal.
0: So with all of these different things, and I know people listening can fully understand this because when you're thrown into this new way of living, it feels as if there's a million different things to consider. And it's like taking our insulin, looking after the food that we eat, exercising, prioritizing sleep, all these different things that we have to do consistently out of all of those things, Thomas, what do you feel helped you the most or what did you focus on that made the biggest difference to ease your way into this new adjustment in your life?
1: I I, th- I think it was my to be honest with you, it was like none of those that you said. It was pretty much my coworkers. Hmm. So when I was working in the emergency room, you know, all these nurses have been like ER nurses for years. And like they are very well versed in like in like diabetes and stuff like that. And so like they can just look at me and just say, Hey, you look off. Like sit down and have something to eat or have a cracker and stuff. I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm fine. And then I'd check my blood sugar and it'd be like, you know, like 42 or something like that, you know? And it's like, they, they were a huge help because when I would like, I would reach out to people like on social media and stuff to ask questions, but like, I would mainly like ask them for help and like, they'd be like, oh, you might want to, you know, do this instead of this, or don't prick the same finger like over and over and over again. You might want to switch it out a little bit. And in like learning not to, pr- to prick my finger in the front of my finger, just the side, because mm. like all the nerve endings and stuff they like start dying off. Cause you just keep on pricking at the tips of your finger, just like pretty much all that stuff. I mean, that was a huge help mm. just from, you know, learning from them.
0: Do you feel as if your concerns would have changed at all when you started to learn more about it? And what I mean by that is, Even from my own perspective, it's almost like at the start, to a certain extent, ignorance is bliss because you're doing all these new things, but it's almost like you're not fully clued into the impact of these things short and long term. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like your fears or concerns or worries at all have changed the longer that you've had it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't really consider myself – I still don't consider myself a pro. But like obviously, like I have learned a lot more, read a lot more, talked to other people and, you know, just gaining experience that I need and kind of even like talking to other diabetics that come in – that came into the emergency room when I was working in the hospital, like and just hearing their experiences as granted that like I was working at a pediatric hospital, like the the oldest – kid that was you typically there was like 21 so i mean obviously like hearing their stories and what their parents do did and stuff like that like i always learn from anybody so like i don't care how old you are if you have a trick or like if you've learned something or done anything like that like i'm, I'm listening i'm all ears and then i'll tell my story side of the story and then we can kind of like switch things up a little
0: bit from your experience speaking to the people that you've just mentioned and the diabetics of all ages and parents who may have come in, are there any stories or pieces of advice that have stuck with you that they told you?
1: Yes. Um uh, actually Chris Rudin, I think I, I heard it from him. Um, he's like another pretty famous di- diabetic in the, in the diabetes space. Uh, he, he said that he takes one unit of insulin for every like 10 grams of carbs and that was, that was a, the, probably one of the huge biggest helps that I've actually had. And like, you know, managing my diabetes and with all the carbs that I eat and stuff like that, because, you know, it was, it was just like, I would just go off by how my blood sugar lo- was before, before I ate and then just like dose my insulin that way. And then kind of realized like, wait, that's not really how it works. You need to, you know, measure the sugars and carbs and stuff like that and do all that math and do it that way. I, that was a huge help. And then, you know, learning to prick my finger on the side of my finger, was another huge help. I learned that from a, I think it was like a 15 year old at the time. And um, even like learning about the Omnipod, the Dexacom, um, like all those, like even the pump too, like learning all that stuff from, the, from
0: kids was, you know, amazing just hearing their side of the story. Mm. And as you say, I think it's one of those conditions that no matter how old you are, you can still have some genius tips or pieces of advice that can help anybody living with the condition
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and actually just what i want to touch on because you mentioned chris chris rudin i'm in so as you know thomas i'm in florida right now yep i went to the gym last night that's like maybe 20 minutes away from where i'm staying chris rudin was in the gym nice and and we (laughs) we bumped into each other because i've had him on this podcast before yeah so he turned around and he was like what are you doing here? Because it was just a random gym in a random place in Florida. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a funny story. And he was actually having a low blood sugar, just as I had seen him. And he was saying, (laughs) I don't know if I'm, if I'm almost hallucinating from this low blood sugar or you're actually in front of me. So it was a funny story. (laughs) That's awesome. He is a a great advocate for diabetes and he's had Mm -hmm. some, obviously he's had a massive influence on thousands of people around the world. So I'm glad you pointed him out again, which is always a good thing. Thomas, do you feel as if you would have reacted in any way differently if you were diagnosed, let's say, in your teens compared to touching 35? Uh,
1: I, You know, I, I think I'd be more naive to if I was a teenager because you're young and dumb pretty much. And like, I, I think that, you know, me being diagnosed later on in my, my life, I think that was, you know, a lot better because C- it's weird because for me, nobody in my family has diabetes except for me. Mm. And so I'm like trying to figure out like, okay, where did I get it? You know, was it, was it from the military? Was it from me being sick one day or, you know, stuff like that. And if I had it younger, I think I would probably make it into a handicap And kind of like use it to like get away with stuff. And I think that would probably make it a lot worse for me like later on
0: down the road. Yeah, it's always an interesting one because the people who are living with type 1 diabetes that I have spoken to and the various perspectives that I've heard, anyone who's diagnosed at the age that they are diagnosed, they find it difficult to understand or even comprehend the idea of being diagnosed. At a later date or an earlier date than when they were. And it's almost like you think of reasons as to why it's better that you were diagnosed at the age that you were because it's what you went through and it's what you're used to. Mm -hmm. And even from my own perspective, I couldn't imagine being diagnosed as a child. I was diagnosed at 19 and I always have such massive respect for younger kids or parents of younger kids who are diagnosed much younger than I was because it's mm. it, it must have been so much more difficult than it was for me because I was old enough to realize the severity of it I was old enough to take care of it myself and I can only imagine how difficult it must be for a younger child but when I speak to people who are diagnosed as younger children they say well I know no different yeah and true. I they feel as if if they were diagnosed later they would find it difficult to adjust to it because they're almost set in their ways
1: yeah yeah and and I, you know what i th- i think that being younger and being diagnosed this is just my my opinion hmm. but i I, th- I really think that you kind of have to grow up a lot quicker hmm. compared to other kids that don't have like a certain disease or anything like that because now you have to be more responsible and like worry about like your, your blood sugar, you know, or anything like highs or lows or pretty much anything throughout the whole day compared to like a kid that doesn't have anything. They're just, you know, you know, don't, they don't have a worry about a, like anything really, except for like, okay, when are we having lunch? When are we going to have a recess and stuff like that? That, that's just my opinion. Mm.
0: Were there any of those sort of, obviously it's different for a child than it was for you at 35, but were there any of those sort of mindset shifts or even like responsibility shifts at all around your health or your fitness or your food that you noticed firsthand as a result of being diagnosed?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I I mean, I I used to love, love cookies, (laughs) Sundays. (laughs) <laughs> like, oh my God, I, it was like, and in, in it's in it's not good because like my my whole family history is like pretty much like has like heart disease or like, you know, my dad had like um, clogged arteries and stuff like that from just, like not having a good diet. And I was like almost, I wasn't going the path there because I was like still working out, but like I would once a week, I just go, go binge on like four or five scoops of ice cream and like not eat, like eat candy here and there and stuff like that. But now, like since I'm been diagnosed, there's no way I'm going like bananas like I was before. So, which is kind of a good thing. Do you still have those sorts of things at all oh, or did you
0: completely okay. shoot them out?
1: No, I I mean, I, I still do it. I mean, the first year when I got diagnosed, it was, I was like super strict and, you know, and it was like fine with me because I'm, I'm used to eating the same. I still do it. I still eat the same thing like every single day except for dinner time. <laughs> yeah. Cause like it's, it's just like because I know because I know a few of my body because I still do once in a blue moon. But now, like since i'm like forty two now, it's like I used to laugh at people saying, I, I can't eat any desserts like after seven or I'm like up to like the middle of the night, and I'm like, That that's not true. Whatever, dude. And then like all of a sudden, like here here I am. I'll have like a Cadbury egg from like my kid's Easter basket, and then like I'm like wide awake, wired to like one o'clock in the morning. And so I'm like, you know, that's not not even worth it. So that's I I definitely changed my eating habit a good amount, and even stopped eating at a certain time uh, in the night, like after seven o'clock. Like I'm done eating. This is like I'm not putting anything else in my mouth at all.
0: Yeah, that's been one of the most beneficial habits i've introduced when it comes to prioritizing my overnight blood specifically is that cut off point for food yeah because look if you're if you're finishing at 7 p.m what time do you go to bed thomas uh roughly like 10 so you have your last meal at seven you go to bed at 10 at 10 o'clock you know what your bloods are at they should probably stay that way throughout the night Because you probably have little to no insulin on board. You haven't had a massive meal within the last 30 minutes that may cause a big spike later on in the night. So it just gives you, well, for me anyway, it gives me more confidence going to sleep,
1: Mm -hmm. knowing
0: that I'm not going to see a massive spike or I'm not going to risk a bad hypo at 3 a.m. in the morning, which (laughs) which nobody wants. I hate those.
1: I hate that. My my thing is I love sleep and... If I go like a low blood sugar, I'll make like a peanut butter sandwich and like literally just lie in bed eating that sandwich and, or even just eating bread and just like have my eyes closed because I'm like thinking I'm still sleeping while I'm eating just because it's like so late. So like so early in the morning and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to wake
0: up in about a couple hours. Like just just go to sleep. And then it's almost inevitable that if you have a low blood sugar at night and you over treat that hypo, you're going to wake up with high blood sugar and you feel like, You've been hit by a bus the next day.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you know what? The, the weird thing with with me with getting like high blood sugar, I don't I don't feel it at all. Mm. So that's that's like obviously an issue. But obviously, like when I'm low, it feels like I've had like a couple like adult beverages, like road sodas. Just like it was, just like my legs feel off. I feel drunk. But like when I get high, like I have no idea, no clue. Like I mean, there's there's been times I've been. I don't know, like four or five hundred, and just sitting there, just like chilling out, like not even, not, not even a care in the world. Really? Yeah, that's crazy. Like no, oh. like no headaches, like no, like no drink extra excess drinking. Well, granted, I I drink a lot of water, but mm. but it's like I don't. It's the same. I don't get thirsty or anything like that. No headaches, no irritation or anything like that, or like get angry. It's enough, nothing.
0: So the only way you know that your high is if you physically check your blood sugar yep pretty much that's wild and it's crazy that people have such different feelings and symptoms and signs of highs or lows because yeah if i was to be four or five hundred which would be you know in in the 20s for how we measure it here i would the, the sensation i have is like my skin almost gets itchy and I'm really irritable <laughs> and it's <laughs> like, stay clear of me. I'm, if my bloods are that high, do yourself a favor and don't come near me <laughs> basically. <Yeah. laughs> but, but I feel as if my, my blood is even hotter than it should be. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, oh, it's a horrible sensation. People describe that in so many different ways. So I'm always fascinated to know what other type one diabetics feel like when they're high or they're low.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I had something that I could notice that I, if I'm high, but it's there's I, I don't. And that's 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 like one of the scary things for me, because it's like I always got to constantly check my blood sugar and, you know, don't don't eat like a, you know, don't eat like garbage food and like not check your blood sugar. It's like because like if I felt like I was high, I would I'd be like, OK, I definitely need to check my blood sugar and, you know, correct it as soon as possible but it's like i can go hours with not even realizing i'm
0: i have a high blood sugar if i don't check it wow so let's say thomas you're sitting at 500 what's your next step how do you go about getting back in range so i obviously dose my insulin
1: properly i actually i've learned i've learned this trick online so um, I'll get a glass of water and get a shot of apple cider vinegar with uh, lemon juice, and then take that as well because f- from the studies that they've done with it, it helps lower your blood sugar like five percent supposedly. Mm. So I would I would literally drink that too and kind of dose my insulin properly, kind of hang out and just like you know don't do any crazy activity or anything like that, and just kind of maybe go for a walk like not a walk but like just like stand around and just stand around the house or just
0: walk around the house
1: and that's
0: pretty much it and was there any sort of or what sort of formula do you use to calculate the amount of insulin that you specifically need to bring your uh, bloods back down i'm trying to think if it was 500
1: i would probably get it to at least like four four to five units i think i would start with well i would start with like four units and then probably wait a little while, and then just tr- test it again, and then kind of keep on going down that route. Because like I don't want to just do a full bolus of insulin, and then all of a sudden be like, "Oh crap, I gotta eat something" because I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tank. Mm. Because my because if I'm at blood sh- my blood my blood sugar is at 500, it could be going down already without me with me not knowing it. And then if I just dose it way too high, I'll just I'll just like bottom out, and you know that's just that's that's not a good thing for mm. me.
0: I was actually only speaking to one of my doctors last week and she was re-emphasizing how when it comes to us treating excessively high blood sugars, we should always give smaller doses over a mm-hmm. longer period of time rather than just one big massive dose. Yeah. And even from my own experience, I know I know that works so much better. Just a bit of insulin, a bit of insulin, a bit of insulin rather than like shoveling a load in at once because i know that inevitably i'm gonna have a big massive crash which is a never a pleasant feeling to say the least
1: no not at all i mean with with me i know how many units i need per per meal pretty much Hmm. because like i said before i eat the same thing every day and so i have no problem like i know how many units i need for for breakfast you know a snack well granted a I eat a lot. That's another thing too. So breakfast, like a snack between lunch, then my lunch, and then another snack like in between lunch and dinner, and then I have dinner. And then that's, you know, and then I'll have like a protein shake here and there too. So it's yeah, I know how many units of insulin I need per meal. So it's kind of like easy that way to like constantly eat the same thing over and over again. So I'm I guess I guess I'm like a creature of habit. So Hmm.
0: I want to just go back briefly, Thomas, to. When you were diagnosed, I know that you you said your son was three months at the time. Where did you find the time to adj- make to make all of these adjustments to learn all of these things that you had to learn?
1: Well, I, I didn't start my job yet, and so after the endocrinologist gave me some paperwork uh, on like the numbers were like I should, the numbers I should stay, you know, my log of like what I'm eating and how many units and stuff like that, which I don't do that anymore. Um, which I don't know if I should, but you know, just, I pretty much like, I wasn't working my full-time job yet. And so I was sitting down, reading, hanging out with my son, playing with him while he's awake and then like putting him to bed, then just like read a little bit more, listen to podcasts of like, like, or just like listen to like YouTube videos of what I need to do to like my diabetes and stuff like that. So I I had a long, I had a lot of time to learn a little bit more about what I needed to do. So Mm -hmm. And plus like the, another thing is my blood sugars were still out of whack too, because I was working overnights. Mm. And so working overnights is I, I can you know, God bless those people that do it, but I, I can't like, it is so hard. Like there's, there's been times I've only been up like five hours in one day. Cause I would like sleep, wake up from my overnight, overnight shifts, like hang out for like a couple hours and go back to sleep again. and like my blood sugars were like, not the best. At that time. And that's when I first got diagnosed too. So
0: so was there anything or did you just completely stop those sort of shifts to get on top of the bloods, or was there a different sort of formula or strategy you used to accommodate for it?
1: Uh well, I mean, luckily at the time where I was gonna look to do like do a change of shift, um, an opening came up for like the morning shift, and so I was like, I just jumped on that like immediately. They're like, Oh, there's like a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. shift if you want it. And I'm like, yes. And so that was kind of a huge help. So at least I can get a normal rhythm going on, especially like I wasn't really getting that much sleep working overnights because I would watch my son during the day and then go work at night. Mm -hmm. And so like I would take naps when he would take naps. I felt like I got hit by a truck like almost every night that I had to go work. And you know, I was praying that my son would sleep longer. He was only like four or five months at the time. So I was like locked him in the living room and like, Close my eyes, or like held him on my lap and close my eyes, and just like him watching TV, just to get some more sleep to kind of help out with like my diabetes and actually being a functioning human being.
0: It was like you were living, or you, you oh. were living on a similar schedule to your five month old at oh. the time.
1: Yeah, but he, I mean, he had, he was sleeping through the night, and I wasn't, so I was awake. So it was it was not fun at all. But I'm glad I'm glad I had a chance to work the morning shift because I think that was a huge help being a better diabetic
0: and managing my blood sugars and everything. Thomas, from your podcast, obviously, itself, and from even your Instagram, it's quite clear that you're phenomenally fit, you are in incredible shape, and you're extremely strong from what I could see. <laughs> Were you always that much into training prior to your diagnosis?
1: Yes, so it all pretty much start. So I'm, I'm 42 right now, uh, just for the listeners. Um, and I got diagnosed like right, like right before my 35th birthday. But, um, when I was in high school, um, I was kind of into lifting weights. I was more into like playing basketball and like football and stuff like that. And then how I started into this like kind of area was this, this kid I was playing, we're playing like pickup basketball. And this one kid was like playing defense with me and like being very aggressive. And, after the game, he's like, Hey, did you like me pushing you around a little bit? And I was like, well, no, not really. And he's like, well, you really need to get into the weight room and start working out. And so I was like, okay. And so we had this like two car garage at my high school that was like filled with like literally this, this gym equipment had to be from like the seventies, old rusty barbells, weights, all that stuff. And we'd have like a, you know, after school we go in there and work out. And I had no clue what I was doing. Like I was reading like men's health magazines or just reading what they did and just kind of going off of that or just to then like later on I was like, Oh, wait, maybe I should be doing bro splits, international bench press day on Monday back and buys on Tuesdays, like legs on Wednesday, or I'd skip legs, you know, typical bro stuff. And then uh, Thursdays would be other things. And like, you know, set and then Saturday would be like the whole gambit. And so, um, I mean, i I got, I got pretty big. I mean, especially like in my, and then, and then in college, it kind of stopped a little bit because I was playing like collegiate sports and like trying to go to school at the same time. And it was like, it was really hard to kind of, be a college athlete and college student at the same time. And there's like no way to get into the gym. It was either have to be like getting up at like five in the morning to go work out. And I was like, no, as a college student, like you're, you're waking up as as late as possible. So, Hmm. um, after I got out of college, I started getting back into it again, doing typical bro splits again. And then I think it was when I joined the, when I joined the military, in the air force. That's when I actually learned about CrossFit, which I do now. And, um, I pretty much started doing that because of this one girl that was in my class that I could not stand whatsoever. Um, (laughs) she was like super annoying. And I was just like, Oh my God, just, just stop. And she's like, well, you know what? I'm doing CrossFit. And I'm like, what's this? And then she's telling me what it is. And I was doing something like that. Um, do you do you remember when the three hundred movie came out? I do indeed. I okay. was fascinated by it. Yes, of course. Yeah. So, um, before I left for the military, I, I like doing the reserves. I started doing the three hundred workout. Have you ever heard of
0: that workout before? I have, but remind me and remind anybody else listening. Okay, so
1: so the three hundred workout, pretty much, it was like almost like a CrossFit workout. So you did three hundred reps of it was pull ups box jumps um oh my gosh like um windshield wipers where you lay on the ground and you have like a barbell with like 30 like like 135 on the barbell and you kick your legs up and touch each weight you do 50 reps of that um and there's like there's a whole bunch of other movements in it and you have to do it as fast as possible and like this guy that the 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 main character Jared Butler he was doing it in like 24 minutes and then like the first time I did it, it was like forty five minutes to an hour to do it, and it was like so hard. And I'm like, okay, I just want to get better at this. So I'd like incorporate it like once, once or twice a week because I was like, yo, if those if those dudes from three hundred did this workout to look like that, I'm all in, all in. <laughs> and so I was like, come to cl- come to find out, it was a CrossFit workout. And so this like this girl was like, I'm doing CrossFit, and I'm like, you're doing CrossFit, and I'm watching like videos of like you know the elite athletes doing, it. and I'm like. Oh my god, I'm I'm definitely in on this. And so, the Air Force base that I was going to school for to um, become a staff sergeant, they had a CrossFit gym there. And so, I walked in during one of the class before the class, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm new. I like to do this CrossFit thing." And he's like, "Well, you have to do a like a two week on ramp program." And he's like, and we were doing box jumps at the time, and he's like. I don't think you need to do the on-ramp program. So you're good. So just we'll just, you know, we'll teach you on the way. And I've been doing CrossFit pretty much, let's see, I think it's like eight or nine years right now. Yes. No, actually, no, I'm sorry. Like seven, like I think seven or eight years I've been doing CrossFit. And I, I love every minute of it.
0: So for anybody who doesn't know what CrossFit is, Thomas, how would you describe it?
1: So it is um kind of like functional fitness so the main like the main idea of it is you're doing functional movements that you can do in like your normal life and everyone sees like all these guys like lifting crazy amounts of weights and you know that's like the one percent that you'll see online i mean most of the people that do it are like they have a typical nine to five their mom and dad and they just want to do an hour workout and they you know and they just want to, you know, move well so they can just move later on, like when they get older. So they pretty much, so they can be able to like sit on a toilet when they're like 70.
0: <laughs> Do you feel you're, you're in that 1%, Thomas? Because when I see your your videos yeah. on Instagram, it makes me feel terrible about myself. <laughs> uh, no, you know,
1: I at, at one point I did um, because I ranked, I think it was like 36 or 37, I ranked like 1,000th in the world for my age oh. at the time. And like I was working out in my basement cause I had a whole gym in my basement. And I was a personal trainer at the time too. Um, while I was going to, um, working at the hospital and yeah, like I was, it was so hot in my basement. Like the Georgia weather was like, just absolutely humid. And I, I was like, just going to town for like an hour, like hour and a half, like two hours, just like almost killing myself. Um, but in a good way and like in a, in a proper way, like I would stop if it was like going way too much, but like I was working hard cause I wanted to at least t- attempt to go to the CrossFit games in my age bracket. And I, th- and I thought I had a chance, but come to realize that like I have a family, you know, I have a wife and I have another one on the way. And it was just like, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. So, but I would still do the workouts. I, I follow a program, um, it's called Misfit Athletics. Love the guys. I've had them on my podcast too. And, you know, they 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 have a program that I've used that like I've never lifted this amount of weight ever in my life. And I'm 42. And it should be the opposite way. Like I should have been like lifting more weight in my like late 20s and 30s than I am now. But it's it's crazy like what I've been able
0: to do now than when I was in my 30s. Did you think that... Your training would take a massive decline or a massive hit when you were diagnosed with diabetes.
1: Yeah, because when I when I first started, even before I got diagnosed, um, when I officially moved to Atlanta, with uh, Georgia, it, like I would do workouts and I would be so winded that I was like, "What?" Like I thought my heart was going to explode. And so, even like losing twenty one pounds was like a huge. Huge hit to me working out and stuff, and so it took a lot. It took a lot to get me back to where where I am now. Just just from like, you know, managing my blood sugar, gaining back some of the weight that I lost before, and you know, it, it was it was a long road, but it was you know, I'm I'm perfectly fine now. I like the the way I am now.
0: <laughs> well, it, it seems that way based on the type of weight that you're lifting over your head. It's unbelievable, and for anybody who doesn't follow Thomas yet, definitely do it. Look at his videos because it will most certainly make you want to go out and start start lifting (laughs) weights 100%. Thomas, how did your training change once you were diagnosed?
1: I had to be more cautious of like when I was working out. And typically I like to go into the gym being at like 200 because, you know, I do like running, burpees, heavy weight training and all that stuff. And I have to be at a high blood sugar because if I, if I don't, I'm like going to tank and I, it'd be like, just, I'd feel awful and I just wouldn't be happy with me missing a day or whatnot. So I I usually try to hit a 200, but the problem is with me sometimes when I do some of those Metcons or any CrossFit workouts, I mean, other diabetics that do Crosses may have this issue as well. Um, You know, my blood sugar would run up to like the 300s because Typically when you're doing some of those workouts, your home, your hormones are like the fight or flight hormones are like kicking in. And so you're, you're at like the flight, you're at the, like the, the fight mode the whole time. And so it's like you jack your hormones up. And so your blood sugar goes up to 300, but then like a half hour later, it goes back to normal because you, your hormones are kind of like calming down and going back to normal. So I, I needed to realize that too, because I would take insulin immediately after I worked out, when I saw my blood sugar, and I'm like, okay. And then I just bought them out and realized, I'm like, okay, I, I need to wait some time before like a cool down. I need to wait to, you know, to see if I do need to take insulin.
0: Yeah, that's one of the biggest things for me as well. Particularly when I train with higher intensity or even heavier weight. If I see my bloods go up, I always avoid reacting and treating it too quickly. Because Mm -hmm. I know that if I go for a light, even 15, 20 minute walk afterwards, it will likely come back down itself. Whereas from my past experience, much like yourself, Thomas, when you take insulin way too quick after a session like that, it's almost like you're just waiting to see a big, big crash. Yep. Yeah. How did you, or how do you still find that balance between a workout that sees your blood sugar go up to 300 compared to a workout that as you say yourself your blood sugars tank uh
1: you know late lately i haven't had that issue which i'm like knocking wood you know i feel <laughs> I feel pretty good on that mm. um i think the mixture of heavy lifting and doing the metcons at the same time have kind of helped me balance out like you know like low blood sugars because typically what I do is I wake up at like 4.20 in the morning and go lift at five. And so like I'm like pretty much fasting and have like a normal blood sugar throughout the whole time and then work out and then like go eat after. Um, I think that that's another huge help for me too. So um, yeah, and I, I, it's it's weird because like I've since doing that and waking up so early in the morning, like I don't ever feel low like anytime whatsoever. But if it was like mid afternoon sometimes I would definitely get that feeling once in a while.
0: So you've never had any issues energy and strength wise while training fasted nope, never like oh. all those heavy lifts that's that's
1: all at like five or five thirty in the morning that's even that makes it even more impressive Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my thing, my thing with like Olympic, so I, I do, I do a lot of Olympic weightlifting that I think like I post on Instagram because mm. obviously Instagram is like a human highlight reel. You got to show everything you've done, um, uh, and be like, Hey, look what I could do. I'm cool. And, uh, my, my thing with, with that is like, I always focus on technique first, mm. uh, because obviously like the snatch is where you pick up the bar from the ground and put it overhead in like one fail, like one, one motion. And then the clean and jerk you have, like, you know, you clean it on your shoulders, you stand up. And then the jerk is like you you put it over your head and you split your legs mm. to get as much weight over your head as possible. So um, I know I was a little off topic, but, you know, just no, no. I always work on technique. And it's amazing how how much of technique and like even waking up in the morning trying to do warm ups at like, you know, 520 in the morning where like you're still half asleep and your pre-workout hasn't kicked in yet you're warming up and it's all just like, just like moving and just doing the technique, So you know that like, you know, okay, I, I feel pretty primed for moving well today.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because it's, a, it's massively important for anybody who's into their training at all. You should always prioritize your form or technique over the weight that you use. Because if you aren't prioritizing your form or your technique and you're pumping up the weight Way too heavy, way too quickly. You're a lot more inclined to injure yourself, particularly I, like, yeah, we're, we're particularly with movements like a snatch or a clean and jerk because it's it's so much easier to injure yourself if you're not doing them correctly.
1: Yeah, there, there's so many kids at the gym that I go to. I don't I don't go to a CrossFit gym. That's another thing too because I don't like it's they don't have the times that I need to go to to the to the gym. So I just do it. I, I do all this stuff at like a global gym, like a typical like chain. chain jam that has bumper plates. (laughs) So, um, but like you'll, you'll like, it's, you know, this, there's sometimes I want to say something to kids and then there's sometimes that I don't, because I remember when I was training and I was like, I was working out and I was like, I talked to one kid. I'm like, Hey, you may want to consider doing it this way instead of that way. And he's like, Oh, okay, cool. And I think he got a little mad about me. Like, kind of calling i wasn't calling him out but like you know Hmm. helping him out a little bit and then like probably like a half hour later there was another kid he's like hey you may want to go like a little lower on that like you know the dip or whatnot and stuff like that and i got pissed and i'm like oh now i know how they feel and so like i i there's sometimes (laughs) where i do like if if there's kids that are like on the verge of like killing themselves on on a like a clean or like have this awful form and even like deadlifting, and they have like this scared cat look when they're deadlifting, mm. uh, I always say just drop the bar, lower the weight because you're going to kill yourself
0: or you're going to seriously hurt yourself, and you don't you don't want that. If you injure yourself with one of those sorts of movements, you could be out for a long time. Years. So, yeah. Years. It's important that you're doing them correctly.
1: Yeah. Like I've been a personal trainer for like years as well, like at pretty much almost the same time as me being in the medical field. And like I've always – gave people techniques or just like did told them sayings to kind of get that form down. Mm. So, and it's like, I love the ones that are like so completely out there that people don't forget.
0: Give me so, an example.
1: So, okay. So when you're doing a deadlift or like a pen lay row, so a pen lay row is when you kind of like push your body at a 90, 90 degree angle and push your butt out a little bit. And you take a barbell or like a dumbbell and just like wrote in like, just wrote, do a row to your chest so i always tell people to stick their butt out i always say miley cyrus because of her twerking (laughs) so i'm like miley cyrus and so they always immediately like stick their butt out all the time all the time it's it's hilarious and like they never forgot that and then i would do like um king kong so i would mainly say that in a deadlift so when king kong gets like really really pissed he sticks his chest out so the main thing is you you don't roll your shoulder. Don't you roll your shoulders in? You stick your chest out during the deadlift so you can get a better pull. Mm. And that's that's another um, one I do. And I also do a one called um, I call. There's two other ones. There's another one called a pigeon. So especially when like people are doing like you know strict presses, a lot of people have a tendency to like push it out forward mm. because they don't want the bar to hit them in the face. So what I do is I say, you know how a pigeon walks? He you know his head goes back and forth. So. You know, when you're holding the bar on your shoulder, tilt your head back. And then when you have the bar over your over your head, you push your head through the window like a pigeon, how he walks. So you can just quickly go back and forth and move your head back without hitting the bar, you know, on your
0: nose. I've now gonna think of all of those every time. Every time I do those exercises.
1: And then and then the last one, I mean it's pretty simple. So I call it tabletop. So if you need if you need someone to have like a straight back Um, I, I yell tabletop. So like they know, like to keep their back completely flat, uh, on like those workouts. So like, Mm -hmm. this, just like stupid, just like silly stuff. Like it, it doesn't, you know, my thing is like, I don't care. I, you, I just need someone to remember stuff. And so like, you know, those stupid sayings are just perfect for them to understand like, Oh, I need to go in this direction instead of that direction. Or I need to go into this pose and not that pose
0: it's those little tips and tricks that potentially can save someone a big injury oh yeah yeah absolutely that was part one of my chat with thomas and as you know as normal if you are listening on the day of the release of this episode part two will be out tomorrow but if you are listening on any other day part two is going to be the next episode on our list so enjoy that one and thanks for listening to part one